Hello once again and welcome to Talk Derby to Me. I'm Blake Fallows. Thank you as ever to Connect Red Telecommunications, who uh, as of recording this have just launched the iPhone 12. Go and check that out. I've just been having a look at what they can offer you. So go and check Connect Red out. Um, SMJ Brady as ever, construction company, local in Derby, all your construction needs and elite football development who are the local Derby soccer school bridging the gap between academy football and grassroots football for kids between the ages of 10 and 15 so go and check all them out thanks again for the support uh, today we've got Nigel Callahan at the time of recording we're about six hours away from Derby taking on Watford in the championship Nigel Callahan obviously a Derby and Watford legend played for both clubs so we had a catch up with him early in the week um, a really interesting story he's battled cancer um, he's now a DJ so really interesting story so let's have a listen to uh, Nigel Callahan. How's live treating at the minute? It's obviously unprecedented times. It's a bit hard at the moment, isn't it? Um, obviously, like, with my sort of income being through me DJing, um, we've not been out of work since March, so it's been uh, pretty rough at the moment. But I've got my music streams that I do on my Facebook page. That keeps me busy. Um, football started again, but just don't seem the same watching the football this way as it normally does. So... Yeah, as soon as this is all over, the better, really. <laughs> yeah. have, have you not been able to DJ or do any of your work at all then? Since no, since... we've just uh, we've just been forgotten about the, the to a certain extent, like the pubs and the clubs, uh, the hospitality. You know, we, we're not really getting much help from the government, and uh, you know they keep opening and shutting and then putting restrictions on certain things. So. Uh, me personally, I haven't earned, I haven't earned a penny since March. You know, it, it's um, it's frustrating now. It's uh, it's getting a bit. You know, you could put up with a six months lockdown start off with, but I think everyone's just getting a bit fed up of it now. Is there is there anything you think they could do to to change it and help help people like yourself that work in the entertainment and the and and that and the arts and the and that kind of business? I don't know. I think uh, I think all the people in this country want is some. The truth, that, you know, the Boris and his clowns at the moment, they just seem to be changing their minds every five minutes. So one minute they're saying we're going to be able to do this and then two days later they're talking about the complete opposite. Um, so, you know, there's nobody knows what direction the, the country's going in at the moment. Nobody, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and he's just changing his stories every day. So, you know, it's, it's that's the frustrating bit about it. I think, I mean, I... I was, the Prime Minister of Spain said, like, the, the virus is here to stay. Um, we have to start learning to live with it. Mm. Although we take your precautions and stuff, you're going to have to live with it. And, and he's totally right, you know. And uh, we just seem to be shutting down, opening up, shutting down. <laughs> so, uh, and it's affecting the football, you know. Like, it's not just, just everyone. But, I mean, uh, the football clubs, small clubs, they're going to go out of business, a lot of them. Um, if, if they don't start getting the crowds in because that's what they rely on, you know, and uh, the, it's a bit like life at the moment. The rich people will, will survive and the poor people will, will go away, you know, and, and it's the same with that with the football clubs, you know, the, the big clubs will be all right, but the little clubs are going to suffer. I think it's frustrating for me as a football fan seeing uh, people in the Royal Albert Hall last, last night watching the Nutcracker, uh, 400 people or whatever in, in a certain venue, but then you can't go and watch Burton Albion, a thousand people in a six thousand venue in open air. So football seems to have been forgotten to a certain degree. Yeah, like I said, it, it just seems like you know some of these 
some of these people are making the decisions. Um, they're not making them collectively. I think, like, you know, they're, they're making a decision on one thing and then changing their minds. I mean, uh, I mean, this prime minister in Scotland, I mean, what part of her brain believes that somebody wants to go to a pub to drink lemonade and Coke? Mm. You know, she's banning alcohol and they're shutting at six. What chance is she giving the pubs? No chance. Um, so, you know, it's it's just frustrating now. You know, there's nothing, no no positive signals coming out at the moment. And I don't know whether he's made his announcement today. I've not even listened to it. I've, I've seen bits of it. I think it was at five o'clock. And um, I've seen that they're not going to completely shut pubs, but you can only have alcohol if you've ordered a meal. So people are just okay. going to go in, have burger and chips, start a table, pub well, talk. Well, the pubs don't sell meals. You know, like, yeah. what, what are they going to do? Sell sandwiches and class as a meal? Just incredible, just incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, there's no explanation on why why they're doing it either. They're just, they're, they're making these rules, but they're not giving you a reason why they're doing it. Anyway. You've got a plan B if, if, if pubs and everything remain closed and, and you can't make your normal living as, as a DJ, if, if, if you had to think about doing something else or is it you just playing a waiting game? I don't know. I mean, I, I was playing a waiting game because I thought with six months lockdown, we'd, we'd sort of get to October time and things would start getting back to normal a little bit. Um, but all I've ever been in my life is a footballer and a DJ. So I've got no CV of working a nine to five job or anything like that. You know, it's, uh, that I've been lucky enough to do them two things, but you know, that's all I know, really. So, um, I mean, we'll get to a stage where I'm probably going to have to start looking for a job. Um, and then come next summer, if, you know, if things are better next summer and, and Spain and Greece, they're opening the bars and I want DJs, then that might be the option to go abroad. Being a footballer and a DJ, your two jobs. How did you go from being a footballer to, to getting into the DJ side of things? Because did they overlap slightly? Was you doing both at the same when, time? It all started at Watford. Um, we had a really young side at Watford. Um, there weren't many lads that were married and had families. And obviously, at the end of the season, you get some of the football clubs writing say, could you come and present medals at our awards night? And basically, because the lads with families said, you know, we want to spend a bit of time with the families now the season's over with. So uh, me, John Barnes, Kenny Jacket, Steve Terry, we were, we were all asked to go and do these things. Well... We'd done a presentation at Chesham Football Club and it turned out that Kenny Jacket's mate was the DJ in there. Um, so he's come up and said, do you want to have a go on the decks, Kenny? And Kenny said, no, Kenny's our music man. He'll, he'll have a go. And so uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I just went up there and stuck a few records on and give it a bit of spiel. <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up pulling it. It's really lovely bird like, uh, you know, this girl. So uh, I just thought, this ain't, this ain't too bad. I might have a bit more of this. And, um, and I just sort of latched on to this guy. His name is Rory, Rory Elliott. And um, I just said to him, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the DJ side of things. Do you mind if I come around with you um, on a few of your gigs? And he said, no, that'd be great. And it just progressed from there, really. Graham Taylor knew that, he knew that I liked uh, DJing. And basically, I'd only DJ on a Saturday night or Wednesday Um because back in the days, you know, the, the rules were 48 hours before game, you don't go and license premises. So if we didn't have a match till Saturday, Wednesday was okay. And, you know, Saturday night, obviously. We'd, um, so, so Graham knew about it and he, he didn't mind me doing it. Um, and, you know, in them days, obviously I was driving. So I, I sort of two pints of lager shandy and that would be my lot. 
Um, and it, it just went from there. And I, I just sort of, uh, I just wanted to see how good I could get at the DJing side of things. And as, as the years went on, I started progressing and, and then I got the move to Derby. And, you know, I told Arthur Cox that I, I like doing that sort of stuff. And I started DJing at the Blue Note, first of all. And then uh, I started doing a bit at um, Sloppy Joe's and Pink Coconut with the lads. So, so yeah, it was just a, it was a hobby that sort of got bigger and bigger. Um, and then it, it got to the stage when I, when I gave up my football around about 31, 32. Um, I went out to Corfu to try and get some work over there. And I've done really well over Corfu. So... It then turned into a situation where I'm now doing it as a job rather than a hobby, you know, and um, and that was that was what I was earning my money at. Um, yeah, it was it was funny because I gave up I gave up the football after filler, mm. and I went I went abroad and I just wanted to just wanted to have a few months off really. Um, I wanted to be able to go and have a drink on a Friday night if I wanted to. <laughs> Um, and I'd, I'd really, I'd, I'd sort of fallen out of love with the game a little bit because of my time at Villa. Um, so I didn't come back till October. Um, and my friend Tom Wally, who was my coach at Watford, he was coaching the youth team at Millwall. So he asked Mick McCarthy, he said, do you mind if I bring Callie with me? You know, he needs to get fit. Um, if he trains with the lads, they can learn a bit off him and it'd be a good experience for him. So... I ended up going with Tom to Millwall um, and it took me about three months to get match fit. I wasn't, I wasn't fat or overweight. I was just, you know, you lose your match fitness and it's really hard to get your match fitness back. So it took me the best part of two to three months uh, before Mick McCarthy gave me a game in the reserves. Mm. Um, and then I just carried on at, at Millwall. I didn't get a contract. Um, I went back abroad again to work. Uh, came back after that summer season and I got offered um, chance to play in South Africa uh, with a team called uh, Cape Town Hellenic. So me and the goalkeeper from uh, Millwall, we went over there for three months, four months. But I only stayed there about two months because um, I got offered a really good deal to go back to Corfu food work. Um, and I, you know, by that time, I'm 32, 33. And I'm just thinking I, I need to make a decision you know, I've only probably got two or three more years left of me as a footballer. Um, and nobody's taking me serious as a DJ at the moment, apart from abroad. So uh, I, I just thought, you know, I've got to go one way or the other. And I, I just chose then to pack it in with the football and, and carry on with the DJing, really. And that's all, how it all came about. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible, incredible story. And obviously you came through at Watford. You're a Watford lad, aren't you? You came through, did you come through the schoolboys there? Yeah, I was... When I when I went for a trial at Watford, it was a case of I think they put an advert in the, the Watford Observer saying if you if you think you're a good footballer and you want to want a trial with Watford, come down on a Monday. Um, and they they train in the car park at the football ground. Um, and Dave Butler was taking it at the time. Um, he, he became a physio at Watford, but he's um, he was taking the the youth team and um, within about six months, I think, of me being there. Graham Taylor came to the club. Elton John bought the club. Um, he got Graham Taylor there, and then Graham Taylor got Tom Wally. And he just he just knew that he had to develop the youth the youth system because Watford weren't a big club. 
Uh, we, we couldn't afford the biggest players, you know, the, on top wages. Uh, but he knew that if, if they've got a good youth system in place, that, you know, they could get some good players without having to pay an extortionate amount of money. And, uh, you know, with Tom Wally, I consider him to be one of the best youth team coaches probably ever. That he, Even around that time, he was just... He produced so many players at Watford, you know, John Barnett, me, Jimmy Gilligan... Um, Kenny Jackett, Steve Terry, Charlie Palmer, Dean uh, not uh, Tim Sherwood. Uh, it, the list is endless, you know. It's just so many, so many players came through that youth team and got careers out of football. Um, and you know, I was told when I was younger that once you probably played fifty first team games, you'll probably have a career out of football. So um, that was Tottenham, and you know, there's a lot of players that, that come through that Watford team that went on to have good careers as footballers. So I think the youth team, the, the youth system was important in them days. It's, it's a bit different now. I don't, I, they still produce the youngins, but these owners want success straight away. So, you know, they haven't got five years to wait for a player to develop. They, they need, they buy the players and it, it's hard for the youngins to get a breakthrough sometimes. And breaking into that, that Watford side, was it? Did you have two promotions, or was it one one promotion? I think you went from Division Three to Division One, didn't you, under Graham Taylor? They went, yeah. They got um, it was there was four divisions. It was the fourth division. Um, uh, they went from fourth to third to second, yeah. and then they had the seconds. I think a couple of seasons in the second division, and then we went up to the first, um, and we beat Wrexham on the. The last the, the the game that we got promoted was, was against Wrexham at home, and uh, I played in that game, and uh, and then we went into what is now the Premier League. It was the first division in the M days, um, and we finished second second to Liverpool that year, um, and it, it, you know that was if we if we'd have won the games that we should have won that we dropped points, which is why Liverpool won the league that year because they were lethal, you know and. Uh, but to finish runners up to Liverpool in our first season was was a, a tremendous feat, really, and uh, it got us into Europe, and and then obviously we got to the cup final. So there was things happening every year, you know, for for three or four years, five years, the fans were getting promotions, they were getting the runners up in the league, they were getting to an FA Cup final, they were playing teams in Europe that they never played before, um, and it, things were happening. It was brilliant. Graham Taylor was there, Elton John was your chairman, you know, and. He, he was a good laugh, you know. So it was a it was a magical time to be at the club, you know. Well, well, because I it's a bit before my time. So I, being a football fan, know about that time at Watford. And obviously, you on one wing, uh, on one uh, wing, John Barnes again on the other, and Elton John, the chairman. What's was how much did Elton John? Because you hear these stories about like Elton John popping in the changing room and like, like does that happen? Every time he's at the club, he'd, put, he'd come into, he'd come in and say hello to the lads and, you know, wish us all the best. And he'd go into the players' lounge and say hello to all the wives, girlfriends, families, whatever. And he'd do all that before he'd come up into the director's box. So, you know, he's a he's a pretty much down-to-earth guy, you know. He, he, and the thing was, I never realised he was having them problems that he was having because having seen his film now, I realised at the time he was chairman of the football club, he was, he was probably having a lot of problems off the off the pitch, if you know what I mean. Um, but, he, I, you know, he, he, for me, he was a brilliant chairman. He got on with all of us. And um, and it, it was great. We used to have a garden party at his house every, every summer before the season started. And that was just for the football club. And I, 
everybody get invited from the players down to the laundry person and the tea lady. And it was a great day out. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was it was hard to describe what it, what it was like with Watford in the early days, but you know, it was a family atmosphere. Taylor was very much involved with the families and um, we used to, we didn't have a dugout. We used to have benches on the side of the pitch. Um, and at, at some stage he used to, um, for a little period, he used to get somebody out of the crowd to come and sit on the bench and experience what the game was like from the bench. So, I mean, you know, to do that, to whoever got picked out, what a, what a, what a story that is to tell your kids or your, your friends. Um, so, yeah, it was just little things like that. Um, but we scored goals at Watford, you know. But when, when, he, when he sat me and Barnsley down at the start of the season, he'd say to us, you know, like, um, it's all about shots and crosses with you two. He says, but I'm expecting between um, <clears throat> 10 and 12 goals a season from you, John, and I'm expecting between 8 and 10 from you, Callie. And he said, if my forwards get me 15 goals each, he said, that's 50 goals between me four front players. And he said, if we get 50 goals, we won't go down. You know, we score 50 goals, we're not going to go down. So ex expectations were high. I mean, I, I some strikers <laughs> feel pleased with themselves sometimes for getting 12 goals a season. You know, and I and I just think back, well, you know, we was expected to get that. Um, but that's what we were, Watford. You know, he had high standards, Taylor. And you knew what you knew what you could do and what you couldn't do with him. And if you stepped out of line, you, you knew about it. <laughs> Was he the best gaffer you played for? Pun? Was he the best gaffer you played for, best manager? Um, I'd say him and, him and Arthur were material. Well, Taylor was, Taylor was a very strict manager. He knew everything that was going on. And sometimes you just never knocked on his door to ask him why you weren't in the team or something like that or, or have an opinion because he'd always overpower you. And I'd say his opinion's right and yours is wrong. You know, he used to say, don't don't come and knock on my door if you're not in the team. Because the only answer you'll get from me is uh, the reason you're not playing is because you're not on that team list that goes 1 to 11. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> similar as. Uh, whereas Arthur was totally different. You know, you could knock on Arthur's door and say, you know, come over with you, Gaffer, and he'll go, yeah, 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 come in, come in. Do you want a, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a sandwich? And he'd talk to you for an hour about football and... and He'd agree with you and he might say, well, I disagree with you on that one, but you go out there and you feel like you've had a proper chat with him, you know, and <laughs> so there were two different managers, you know, um, Tate, Arthur loved flair players, he liked natural talent, whereas Taylor would have you back in the afternoons and you'd work on your finishing, you'd work on your crossing, he'd make you into a better player. Um, and, you know, he used to say, if you've got wives or girlfriends, don't make any plans to do anything in the afternoons apart from Friday because you'll be back in the afternoons training. Um, so that's, and with Arthur, we was trained in the mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We had a golf day on Wednesday and uh, we finished by lunchtime most days and it was totally different. Uh, so yeah, two different, two different managers completely. What, what struck me is um, obviously working at, at Radio Derby and knowing Craig Ramage, I mentioned this on a, on a different podcast, but Arthur still rings him up occasionally if like if he's done anything and goes, All right, what have you been up to now, son? And it's 30 odd years since he's been his manager, but Arthur's still the same now. I go, right, talk to me, what's happening, son? And and all that. So what a brilliant gaffer. Yeah, it was quite it was quite funny actually, because I remember one game that Craig played for at the baseball ground and he was sat next to me in the dressing room. 
And um, I think he was having a he was having a bad first half. Like the fans were getting on his back, and I, some of them were giving him stick. So we we come up for half time, and Arthur's gone to Craig. Says Craig Vassani says uh, it's not your day today, so I'm going to take you off and, and put someone else on. And um, and then he carried on with his team talk. And uh, Craig was next to me, and he had his head he had his head in his hands like that. And he looked he looked at me, and he went. I thought I was having a good game. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was what a little world Craig was in his own world sometimes, you know. And uh, he could have heard all the all the stick he was getting off the fans. He just went, I thought I was having a good game. How did you first, how did you come about signing for Derby then? Was that uh, after Graham Taylor left that you, you ended up? No, it's um it went back to when I played in the under-21s for um, England. Um, we was playing at Newcastle's ground on one of the matches. So I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I, I got a train up after the match. Um, no, we, there weren't no matches there. I got a train up to uh, Gosford Park, mm. uh, which is the hotel we stayed at. And I was actually rooming with um, a player called Brian Kilcline. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get along, get. Yeah, killer client. They called him. He's like big Sasquatch. Um, <laughs> and I, so he said, "Oh, apparently all, all the lads have gone into town, um, but they're all meeting at a, a, a nightclub called Tuxedo Junction, which was the main nightclub in in." And he said, "Apparently, like you know, we're in the VIP area there." So, so we went down there. And cut a long story short, we we ended up sitting on the table with Terry uh, Terry McDermott. And Kevin Keegan, because they were playing for uh, Newcastle at the time. So, um, right at the end of the night, they said, Oh, where are you staying at? We said, Gosford Park. I said, I'll oh, we'll give you a lift back if you want. Um, and as he was going back, he said, um, How's your gaffer? I've heard he's a bit strict, like, you know, Graham Taylor. I said, Yeah, he sort of makes me scapegoat sometimes about, you know, Barnes, he seems to get away with it, and I don't. And, and he went to me, Oh, gaffer, I'd love to have you here. And it was Arthur Cox at the time. And he said, Oh, oh gaffer, I'd love to have you. I'll have a word with him. And I and I, I thought nothing more of it, to be honest. I was 19, 20, was still a bit wet behind the ears and went out training the next day and Arthur's watching the training. And as we finished, he said, uh, how are you, Nigel? And I said, I'm all right, Mr. Cox, thanks. And he said, uh, are you happy? And I thought he meant, am I happy being with the England side? And I said, yeah, yes. And he said, uh, just remember, if you're ever unhappy, we'll always have you. So... So if I was a bit older and wiser, I probably would have gone and put a transfer request in to Watford because, you know, their lineup at the time was Chris Waddle on the left, Kevin Keegan, Peter Beersley up front, and I would have been on the right wing. So I mean, what a front four that would have been to play with. Um, so what happened then was I, I was having my ups and downs with Graham Taylor. We, you know, we, we had a bit of a love-hate relationship. Um, and after the... After he dropped me for no reason again, I just had enough. I put a transfer request in, um, and it's before the Luton game, <laughs> which is our local derby, and we, we lost. So he was like, his jugular vein was coming out of his neck at the end of the interview. And uh, so basically, I went through all pre season after that um, for the new season, playing in the reserves. He, he just banished me to the reserves. And then before the first game of the season, Barnes had an, an injury. And he said to me, if Barnes is not fit, you'll play tomorrow. And he hadn't even speaking to me all through the summer, like, you know, through the pre-season. Uh, and I ended up on the bench. 
And uh, he put me on with three minutes to go. We was four nil up. And I went, are you, really, are you serious? And he went, yeah, you can go on. It could be your way of saying goodbye to the fans. Uh, Charlton have put a bid in for you and I've accepted it. I thought, you so-and-so, like, you know. And, and then I, I went to talk to Lenny Lawrence because um, uh, he didn't really offer me much of a deal. I, I was I was no better than uh, I was at Watford. So I came back and I said to Graham Taylor, um, I, I didn't want to go there. I'd sooner stay here and fight for my place. And he said to me, well, you haven't got a place here. He says, there's, there's no fight. You're not going to play for me. So I went back and discussed terms with Denny Lawrence, got a better deal out of him. And I was meant to sign for him a week later. And then I, it got delayed. And then I, he rung me up, Lenny Lawrence said, do you want to, you still want to come to us? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, um, it's just been a delay, that's all. I don't know what it is, but... And then another week went past, and they'd signed another player, and and I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then Graham Taylor got hold of me and said, look, um, the way Charlton have dealt with this is terrible. I won't be doing business with Charlton anymore. He said, come and play play for, uh, for me at Norwich on Saturday. So I've gone from being banished to not getting in the side to getting back in the side. And then I played against Norwich, and I never came out of the side. I was in the first team right away up to the point where Derby come in for me. And I'd only just come off the transfer list a, a week before that. Um, I asked him to take me off the transfer list. I was quite happy at Watford. I was playing, I was playing some of my best football. Um, I was in the first team. And then he, he says, um, Arthur Cox has come in for you at Derby. He said, I said, well, I'm sort of happy here now. I've, you know, I've just come off transfer list. And he meant. I think you should go and chat to them. He said, Derby are uh, potentially a bigger club than Watford. Um, you know, they've won the European Cup and all that. Like, they've got history. And everything he was saying to me was sort of go and talk to them. You know, maybe it's right for, right for a change. Um, so I went up on Wednesday night. Uh, I only got told Wednesday afternoon. I drove up to Derby Wednesday night. I checked into a hotel by the motorway and I under... Um, Dunford's name, the secretary, Michael Dunsford. Um, I went the next day, Thursday, to discuss terms. I had my medical in the afternoon. Um, by 5.30, I'd signed just in time to play on Saturday. And it just all went through really, really quick, you know. Within, and I came back home and told me Dad had signed for Derby. And he, he was Watford through and through. And he was like, I'm not coming to Derby. And he came to the first game and saw how the fans got behind me and, uh, you know, the fans were brilliant and um, and then they, they loved it. They came up to all the Derby games after that. But soon as, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Arthur had sort of tried to get me when he was at Newcastle and then he's, he's obviously wanting me at Derby. Um, so I thought, you know, well, maybe it's time for a change. Um, and, I, and I signed for Derby, played for him on a Saturday. <laughs> What are, your, what are your memories of first coming to Derby in the, in the baseball ground? Because you probably played there before, but to come yeah, as a Derby player? On a Friday night, I was in a hotel room and um, one of my old teammates, Colin West, who, who left Watford and joined Rangers with uh, Graham Sulesser's manager at the time. So he rings me up on Friday because it's on, on the news and he says, I can't believe he's gone to Derby. I can't believe he's gone to Derby. Because one, it was like dropping out of the top division to come down the division. And I said, well, like... It's, it's a pretty good club line, you know. I think they'll go up this year. And he went, no, no, it's not that. He said, uh, my gaffer's been asking me about you all week. I think he was going to put a bid in for you. <laughs> so I could have ended up at Rangers at one point, uh, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I, I remember I remember playing Birmingham and I remember us going two 0 down and I was just thinking, oh my god, what what a nightmare debut this is going to be. And then uh, we got the two goals back and I, I had a shot. Last five minutes, this key was pulled off a save. I could have put us three two in front, um, but we got a two two draw out of it that day, so it, it wasn't a, a loss. Um, so it, it was okay. Yeah, I remember the game really well actually. So was that the was that the year that Derby got out of the second division? Was it your first season or was it the season? No, it was, it was straight away because um, obviously when I left Watford, they were in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup against Walsall. And everyone's going, oh, they'll, they'll beat Walsall. He says, you're mad, like, they could get, get to the final again this year. Um, and as it goes, they played Tottenham in the semi-finals and got beat. But I knew that dropping down was a bit of a risk because um, the other thing was it was only two points for a win in them days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we was, I think we was about eight points behind Portsmouth. Uh, and there was only the two top teams got promoted that year. Um, so when I went there, I, I knew it was a bit of a risk, but... I still believe that we go up and obviously the running that we had was brilliant, you know. We, talk, we spoke about Arthur and what a character he was, but who were the other, in the, in the dressing room at that time, obviously some big characters, who were the, the big standout characters in that in that Derby dressing room? I, well, I got, we used to report to the ground on a, on a Friday, you had to get weighed. Um, every, every other day you'd report to Rainsway, but on a Friday you, you park your car on the ground and then you get weighed and you're not allowed to be three pound over your average weight. Um, and then we go up to, from the baseball ground, we got a rangeway, and we, we train for half an hour, and then we're back in the back in the changing rooms by half 11. Um, but when I got there, John Gregory says, oh, you're in our car, you're in the, you're in the staff car, which was I, and, this, and that was, it was Gary Micklewhite, John Gregory and Grant Williams. So apparently they were the three big boys there. Um, and Greg's, you know, Greg said to me, he says, Cully, he said, let me tell you one thing about the gaffer. He said, uh, you do the bizzo for him and you'll never be outside. He said, even when you get injured, you'll be straight back in. And, um, and he was true as well, because I, I was out with a hamstring injury for about seven weeks. Um, and Arthur's, Gary Micklewhite took my place. Uh, and I've been watching the games and Gary done really well. You know, he's playing well, he scored a couple of goals. And you're seeing in the stand, and you're thinking, oh, I might not get me placed back here. Um, and then after seven weeks, Arthur's called me over, he says, how's the leg? And I said, I think I'm all right now, Gaffer. And he went, we've arranged a game against Gresley Rovers on Thursday behind closed doors. He says, you're playing that. And if you come through that all right, you'll play against Arsenal on Saturday. And I, I was like, all right. So I, I came through the match and... He's name, naming the team at the hotel. We're having a bit of lunch. And he said, Gary, my son, he says, uh, you've done absolutely brilliant since Callie's been out. Um, but Callie's fit now, so he's back in the side. And I, I just, I couldn't even look Gary in the face because if, that, if I'd have been Gary, I'd have been going, what have I got to do to stay in his side? And, but, you know, straight away, back in. And, and Greg's was right. And, uh, you know, I was in for all the games in, never missed another game. I think, like you say about the, the differing tactics, that's that's you run for a brick wall like a gaffer like that, don't you? If you know as long as you do what he expects of you, you're going to get back in the side, then you do whatever it takes, don't you? Yeah, I mean, like, um, he's Arthur is very much uh, you earn your respect, you know, you earn it, you don't get respect, not unless you earn it. Um, and he was, you know, he, he caught Ramage laughing at one of the lads, cracked a joke as we. Uh, walking out to training and 
and it was about one of the senior lads and all the lads started laughing and Raman was laughing and he turned around and pointed to Raman and he went, you're not good enough to laugh at him yet. Did right. he? <laughs> and, uh, and it was like... And it was because I, he was a senior player, and Raman was still a, ju a junior. And he you know, just went, "You're not, you're not good enough to laugh at him." And uh, he pointed his finger at him. And um, I remember when me and Peter Shilton turned up late for training, and we got caught in a um, there was a crash right outside Rainsway, and all the traffic had stopped, so we could actually see the lads out on the training pitch, but we couldn't get in today because all the cars were blocked up. So we, we ended up getting out on the pitch 20 minutes later and we said to the guy, sorry about it, Gaffer, we're fucking out of traffic. And yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. So we do our training and the next day we've gone to Rainsway and we sat there getting changed. And Roy McFarlane comes in and he dishes out all the fan mail. Um, so I've got a couple of letters and I've got a brown envelope. And normally a brown envelope means you've got a fine. Um, so I've opened up my brown envelope and it's got, for being late yesterday, I'm finding you 25 quid. <laughs> I mean, the 25 quid is nothing, but and I'm looking over there and he gets around to Peter Shield. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, and they seem giving me his mail. And I couldn't see no brown envelope. And I went, Oh, Shields. I went, Did you get fined? I said, Did you get fined for yesterday? He went, No. I said, I've got bloody fined 25 quid. <laughs> he said, oh, I didn't get fined. So I've gone out there and I've gone, Gaffer, can I have a word with you? And he went, Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? What is it? I said, well, you know, yesterday, me and Peter Shill were caught in that traffic, you know, the, the car crash. And, you know, we came in late, 20 minutes, we was late, and we both come out together. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, it? one set of rules for Peter Shill and one set of rules for me. And he said, what are you on about? I said, well, I got fined 25 quid, and he didn't get anything. And he went to me, when you've played as many games for England as he has... <laughs> <laughs> うん、いや、もう、いや、もう、あれ、ちゃんとね、もう、あれ、ちゃんとね、もう、あれ、ちゃんとね、もう、あれ、ちゃんとね、もう、あれ、ちゃんとね、もう、あれ、ちゃんと
still got a shirt hanging up, the Watford shirt's hanging up somewhere up there. But me, uh, I don't, I think I, I think I actually gave my Derby shirt away. I auctioned it for some girls. Um, they were raising money for charity and stuff like that. So I donated donated the shirt for that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it'd be a, be a good talking point. I think I've, like I said I've got. I'm on Radio Derby on Wednesday at 11 o'clock with Ed, Ed Dawes. Um, and then I've got, I've got, an, I've got a, um, an interview with a guy that's writing a book about Elton John. Um, he's coming up from London to interview me. So um, Elton John's in a new book. And I think it's all based around his time when he was at Watford, when we were successful. So it'll be interesting when that book comes out to see what it's like. Do you have, do you have any regrets looking back over your career? Yeah, going to Villa. <laughs> um, no, it's, it, it's. I've got to listen. How can you regret anything about being a professional footballer? It's every boy's dream, you know. Like so, and not only that. I've, I know I finished early when I was 31, 30, but you know I've played in a cup final. I've got nine under twenty one England caps. I'm I'm still part of the only under twenty one side that won a major. Championship. We won the, the cup that year, the under twenty one cup, beating uh, Spain in the final. I've played nearly all of my career at the top level, in the top division, and I've scored goals and I've I've been on goal of the month. And so you can't you can't look back on a career like that with any regret because there's players that never even get out of the lower divisions to play that football. So I think you've got to look back on the, the, the good things about it. I do regret going to Villa because, you know, it, the, Villa, the Villa thing just was a total train wreck, you know. And, um, and I really shouldn't have gone there. I mean, I, I was meant to be going to Tottenham. Um, Terry Venables had run up and he, he put a bid in for me and uh, they tried to swap me for Steve Hodge and Arthur wanted Hodge plus cash. And then he said, well, what about Chris Fairclough? He's an England player. And again, Arthur wanted... Fair cuff plus cash. <laughs> um, so Venable said to me, Callie, I can't do business with your gaffer. He said, okay. So he says, I no disrespect to you, but like Steve Watch and Chris Faircuff are England internationals. Um, ask him what he'll accept cash for you. I, I, and then I'll offer him the cash. So I, I went in to see Arthur and um, he said to me, the board have said if they get 700,000 for you, they'll accept it because they'd only paid 120000 for me. So I've told Terry Venables, and he said he was going to ring up the club and put a bid in for me tomorrow. Um, so I've gone in training, and I'm expecting Arthur to say, Callie, you need to get in your car and go down and speak to Terry Venables. And uh, we've done training. We get, we get into the end of training, and we're doing a little bit of shooting practice where you lay, lay the ball into Arthur, he lays it off, and you put it past Shilton, if you can. Um, and I've hit, I've hit one top corner, screamer. And then um, the next one I've had, I've hit it in the other top corner, another screamer. And Arthur turned around and he went, Jesus Christ. He says, that does it. I can't sell you. He said, <laughs> he said the fans had lynched me. And, I, and I'm like, what? And, I, and, and then, so Terry Venables pulled the plug on the deal. And then... A week, week and a half later, he says Aston Villa have come in. They've put 550,000 bid in for you, which was less than the 700, and we've accepted it. So half of me went out of spite. Half of me just thought, do you know what? If they're trying to get rid of me so badly, I'm going to go. 
But the other half of me should have went, do you know what? The fans love me at this club and Arthur loves me. I should have stayed because all through that, Arthur kept saying to me, I don't want to sell you. The board do. It's the board of directors want to sell you. I don't want to sell you. And he said that to me all the time. So, you know, it, it was a big, bad move, really. And obviously, Graham was only there for one season. He got the England job. Um, but he, he could have protected me more at Villa. I got, I got the brunt of all the stick over there. And um, so, he, he, like I said, it was a train, train wreck, you know, Joseph Engloss come in the second year. He couldn't speak no English. And Doug Ellis was picking the side half the time. And, and then Ron Atkinson came in for the last year. And I, I don't even like speaking about him. He's that, he's that horrible a bloke. Um, well, he treated me badly down there anyway. So, um, yeah, just three years of waste, wasted time, really. Um, and like I said, the best, probably the best three months during them three years is when I come back alone to Derby. Um, and... I had th- three really good months at Derby then. Um, I was gutted when he bought Ian Ormondroyd and Andy come in at the end of the season because he said to me he was going to buy me back. And I and it never came. So I was, that's the only regret I've got with Arthur was that he never brought me back to the club that year. Um, but yeah, but, but being a footballer, like I said, you can't regret being a footballer. No better feeling than scoring a winning goal or running out of the tunnel on a home match and hearing the crowd roar. You know, that, that's... Uh, that's what you give up most of your youth youth life for. You know, you practice hard when you're young. You, you get your head down and, and you do anything you can to be a footballer um, just so that you can get them matches where you run out at Old Trafford and, um, you know, Anfield, places like that. You know, that's what it's all about. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cully, uh, for joining us. I'm going to let you go now. Thank you very much. But prediction? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I don't no, know what the will be, but um, yeah, I, I think it'll be a draw. Yeah. Um, it'll be better for my show if it's a draw anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for that, mate. Really, yeah, really. Yeah, really. Cheers, mate. Take care. Cheers, Cully. Yeah,